Welcome to Jim Lang's Retire Secure Podcast, where smart money talks. Throughout his career, Jim Lang has made it a priority to provide his clients, readers, and friends with useful, cutting-edge information, as well as peer-reviewed financial and tax planning strategies, so that they can make the most educated decisions and really get the most out of what they've got. We hope you enjoy the following special read broadcast from the Lang Vault. Please stay with us until the end so you don't miss more information on how we can help you protect your wealth and ensure your family's financial security for the next generation. And now, Jim Lang. All right, so now let's say the classic principle, the bedrock foundation stone of retirement and estate planning for IRA and retirement plan owners. Don't pay taxes now, pay taxes later. And I've been saying that for well over 20 years, probably closer to 30 years. And then in 1998, I had to make a little exception, which is don't pay taxes now, pay taxes later, except for Roth IRAs and Roth IRA conversions. That will apply in the accumulation stage while you are working and you are putting money into your retirement plan. That will apply in the distribution stage when you are done working, you're done with your earned income, you have, let's say, several pots of money, maybe a Roth IRA, a traditional IRA, or retirement plan, and some after-tax dollars, some highly appreciated, some not, which dollars should you spend first? And interestingly enough, don't pay taxes now, pay taxes later, even applies after you are dead. We're going to go into each one of those areas um, to help you with some of the most important planning that I believe that you can take. All right, so now let's get into the real nitty gritty. All right. And and this, by the way, if you are uh, a note taker, the, the next two slides are really important uh, for your long-term financial security if you are still working. All right, so let's assume that you are working and uh, for discussion's sake that you are an employee, although similar rules if you're self-employed, but not for the first item, but let's assume that you are an employee. Let's assume that you have access to a some type of retirement plan, let's say a 401k or a 403b or a SEP or a KEO or, or whatever it might be. But let's assume for discussion's sake, a 401k or a 403b. And you could either put, and you can, uh, there's some type of employer match that you yourself have a choice of putting money into a traditional 401k or 403b or a Roth 401k 403b, all right? Or you could put money into an HSA, a health savings account, or you could put money into a Roth, again, Roths, after tax, et cetera. So here's the best order. Number one, always, always, always take advantage of any employer match. So, for example, at the University of Pittsburgh, if you've been working there three years or more, if you contribute 8% of your pay, the university will put in 12% of your pay. Now, think about that. That's 150% return on your investment on day one, and it's tax-favored, meaning even just forget the Roth for a moment, you get a tax deduction or looked at another way, you don't pay taxes on those earnings. <clears throat> Um, either your share or the employer's share, that money grows income tax deferred. That means you're not paying taxes on it until you eventually withdraw that money. But 
and, and by the way, can you believe that we actually know of some professors who are not taking advantage of that 150% match? And some of those professors are teaching your kids. But anyway, um, always, always, always take advantage of an employer match. The second, assuming that there is money left over to uh, put towards your retirement, is to put money in a health savings account. Health savings accounts are wonderful, and we're going to get into those. Take it then after the health savings account, then the Roth IRAs, um, or uh, it's not on the slide, but it should be, is the Roth 401ks, Roth 403bs. Then after that, if there is money left over or if you uh, don't qualify for the Roth IRAs, and we'll get more into that, contribute to a traditional retirement plan, 401k, 403b, SEPCO, et cetera, or uh, just a plain old IRA. Then the next thing is a non-deductible IRA. We'll be talking about the backdoor Roth IRA in the Roth session, but if you can't do that or if they change the law, you, you can, uh, for this is mainly for higher income earners, uh, put money into a non-deductible IRA or uh, retirement plan. And then last but not last and least is to save money in a plain old after-tax dollars. All right, so um, the employer's contribution. So, you know, I mentioned, let's say that you have a match. The employer's contribution will always be a traditional contribution. You don't have a choice about that. You can't tell the employer, hey, put put the money that you're matching or put the money that you're putting in on a percentage basis. And so, by the way, some employers will just pay X percent of your um, of your gross salary. With that type of contribution, whether it's a percentage or a match, you don't have a choice. That money will be um, traditional 401k, 403b, SEP, etc. Assuming that your uh, institution or employer um, offers you this choice, then and you have a choice between a traditional and a Roth account. Again, subject to exception, I'm going to be recommending the Roth account, whether it's Roth IRAs um, and or Roth 401ks, 403bs, SEPs, KIOs, etc. Let's just take a quick look at the math between taking advantage of the math of the match and not. Um, and obviously, it's overwhelming. Uh, and now, this is starting at age 30, and probably the vast majority of the attendees are probably twice that old or older. But you can just see over time the difference between running out of money in 80 and having about $4 million, both of these people, that is, let's say, the, the black portion of the chart, uh, they each earned the same amount of money. They each spent the same amount of money. They each had the same investment rates, et cetera. One took advantage of the employer match. Um, one didn't use the retirement plan at all. Obviously, it is a huge, huge difference. Um, then health savings accounts. And I don't know why people aren't talking about these more, but you should find out if you have access to a health savings account or if you're self-employed, whether you can set one up for yourself and or your employees. So with a health savings account, and, and this is better than a Roth, it's better than a traditional IRA, You, the contribution that you make to the health savings account, you actually get a tax deduction for. So that's good. So that's like a traditional 401k, 403b, etc. The money grows, unlike a traditional retirement plan, 
the money grows tax-free. And when you finally take the money out, assuming that you're taking the money out for a qualifying medical expense, the distribution of that HSA is tax-free. So do you see why that's better than a traditional IRA when the distribution coming out at the end is taxable? And it's better than a Roth IRA because even though the distribution comes out tax-free, you get a, a tax deduction going in. So yes, you might argue, well, we don't have all the investment choices and there's some other, you know, and yes, you know, it, in order for it to be tax-free, it has to come out for a qualifying medical expense, but it's very hard for me to imagine that you're going to accumulate more money in your health savings account than you will have medical expenses, uh, let's say over the course of your and maybe your spouse's uh, life. Then next rule, don't pay taxes now, pay taxes later. So in the chart that you see in front of you, um, you see in the gray, in the gray serrated line, um, and then you have the solid black line. So Mr. Black here took advantage of a retirement plan. And let's even forget, let's even say that there was no match. So he put money into his retirement, his or her retirement plan. He got an income tax deduction for that money. And then that money grew income tax deferred. Now, yes, it's true. When he withdraws that money, he is going to have to pay taxes on it. So that's a perfect example of don't pay taxes now, pay taxes later. So if you compare that to, let's call it Mr. Gracerated, who isn't taking advantage of the retirement plan, but he's just, say, earning the money, paying the tax, investing the money, and investing at the same rate as Mr. Solid Black, <clears throat> towards the ends of their lives, um, Mr. Black has $3.5 million, and Mr. Gray, who isn't taking advantage of the retirement plan, has zero. He runs out of money. So even if you think that you can invest a little better than your retirement plan at work, you'd have to, you'd have to invest a whole lot better to overcome the tax advantages of having money in a retirement plan. All right, then I said, don't pay taxes now, pay taxes later, except for the Roth. So let's compare, now I'll get a little bit closer to where many of you might actually be in, in, as far as, in terms of how far you are along on your career and your life. And here we're starting at age 55. Um, the person in the, let's say, gray line is um, contributing to a Roth. The person in the black line is doing a traditional IRA. And so even starting late, you know, there's still, you know, let's say a $50,000 or $60,000 difference uh, just based on which dollars um, they are investing in, whether it's Roth or traditional. I'm going to skip all the assumptions. Uh, there is a reference in the event that you are interested. And again, this is all, uh, let's say, an update of peer-reviewed analysis. Okay, um, Erico, before we get into classic spending uh, order, do we have any questions on the accumulation stage? Because I'm about to enter something different and I want, I want it to be clear for everybody. Do we have any questions up to date, Erica? So I am looking at our live room questions right now and I'm not certain that they are specific to the accumulation stage. Well, how about if we take one or two? How about if we take one or two general questions and then we'll move on? 
Sure. Actually, this this one is definitely at least on a subject that is, yeah. Okay. So you covered this and I think this is technically accumulation stage. So Michael asked, does having an HSA account make sense if you know that you have or will have significant medical expenses? There would be a significant amount of out-of-pocket money for medical expenses, possibly the entire deductible amount in a high deductible health insurance, uh, and then also fund the HSA. Well, if you anticipate high medical expenses, and the right answer to all these questions is you have to run the numbers, and that's, so I don't like to talk off the top of my head. That said, if you know you're going to have significant medical expenses, yes, it certainly makes sense to um, have the tax-free growth between when you are working and when you anticipate having these medical expenses. So even for myself, I'm, I'm a family of, of three. Um, it's myself and my wife and our daughter. And we do have, um, let's say, higher than average um, medical expenses but we are still contributing the maximum to our health savings account because I like the idea of having the tax-free growth between now and when, um, well, we'll always have medical expenses, but if we can get a whole bunch of tax-free growth between now and the time we take it out, and even if we are paying with our for our health expenses now with plain old after-tax dollars, um, I am certain that if we ran the numbers that that would prove uh, to be the beneficial way of doing it. Now, if you have really high medical expenses, um, one of the opportunities that people who have significant medical expenses have is to combine the years when they have significant medical expenses with Roth IRA conversions. One of the great opportunities that um, I see a vast majority of people miss, and this is probably advice that might be more applicable to your parents if they are alive than for you, is sometimes when people go into nursing homes or they need long-term care and they are cared for at home. And without getting into a technical discussion of which medical expenses are deductible and which, which are not, but usually a, at least a percentage of the uh, fee for a um, long-term care facility and uh, the care at home is deductible. And what they often do is they deduct all that stuff, show maybe even a loss to offset all their income, and they don't do anything with the loss. What they could be doing is actually doing a Roth IRA conversion the same year that they have these medical expenses. And I know that that wasn't exactly the question, but if you are anticipating significant medical expenses, and again, you know, the right answer is to run the numbers for your situation. But off the top of my head, what I really like is the idea of getting some tax-free growth in the HSA. And then at some point, and maybe you could even do what we call a bunching strategy, where you pay your medical expenses. Let's say that they're over a two-year period that you, let's say, front load or back load uh, when you pay them, combine that with a Roth IRA. So a little bit beyond the question, but um, a great opportunity. And I see a lot of older, um, well, typically not clients because we do it right if they are clients, but let's say parents of clients not get this right. And, you know, again, that's a, a classic mystery.
missed opportunity. Why don't we take one more and then we'll move on to spending? Or just one general question if we don't have any more accumulation questions. Great. So we have a question from Michael, um, and it's not necessarily accumulation, but it is, a, I think, a good question. Uh, he says, how can a cascading beneficiary plan work at Schwab or Vanguard? I think he's saying for a retirement account there, because both financial institutions say for the account, uh, it's either accepted in total by the beneficiary or entirely declined to work around this one just has to have more than one account to allow for more options? I think that's a question. Is he saying, is that the only workaround? All right. So we're going to be talking more about this tomorrow at 10 o'clock. But here, you know, and, and, and by the way, this is a, a hint of what's coming up in the best retirement and estate planning uh, strategy, uh, particularly for IRA and uh, retirement plan owners. And in the event of, and, and the question really refers to, if you give the beneficiary the right to disclaim, I like to say you can disclaim or as much as little as you like um, to, let's say the spouse might disclaim to um, the children, the children might disclaim to the grandchildren. Um, can you do this? There's nothing in the law that prevents a partial disclaimer to the dollar of which ones you like. Um, sometimes some of the, uh, certainly the smaller and even sometimes some of the bigger investment firms give people a hard time on disclaiming a portion. Uh, well, one way to do it is just move it out of that institution, but another way to do it if you have to, and by the way, sometimes they say they won't, but they will. Uh, the other thing to do is you could separate the accounts, disclaim uh, one portion of an account and not disclaim another. So there are workarounds for that issue. All right, so let's go back to uh, the classic spending order. So in this situation, you have, let's say you are retired and you have some income coming in. It might be social security. It might be interest and dividends, might be some capital gain distributions, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you also have uh, an IRA, 401k, 403b, SEP, KEO. You also have a Roth IRA, and you also have after-tax dollars. Which dollars should you be spending first? Well, subject to exception, and all most of what I'm saying is subject to exception, but spend your income first. You have to pay tax on it anyway. Your Social Security is going to be 85% taxable, maybe less for some of the lower-income folks, but for most of the people on this call, I'm going to guess that it's going to be 85% taxable. Um, your interest in dividends, um, again, that's mainly going to be taxable, assuming that they are from the taxable environment, not on in your IRA, retirement, et cetera. Um, if you have to take a minimum required distribution, you have to take pay tax on that. So that's all money that you have to pay tax on. That's good money for you to go ahead and spend. All right, so let's say that your spending needs exceed what your income um, from all these sources is. Then, uh, subject to exception, spend your after-tax dollars, that is not IRA or retirement, but let's call it brokerage dollars, preferably that don't have any or much appreciation. So you're not paying a capital gains when you cash them in and spend that money. The next dollars to spend is your highly appreciated after-tax dollars. 
So let's say for discussion's sake that you have, you know, you bought some stock way back when, it's highly appreciated for you to cash it in, you're going to have a capital gains. Subject to exception, that's still going to be preferable to taking out money from your IRA or retirement plan before you have to. Then spend your traditional retirement plans, IRAs, 401ks, etc. And then the last dollars to spend are your Roth dollars. Now, are there exceptions to that spending order? Yeah, there's certainly, oh, before the exceptions, first let's get a scope of the difference between getting this right and getting it wrong. So you're 65 years old, you have two chunks of money. Uh, here, we're not even gonna talk about Roth in this, for this example. You have after-tax dollars and you have um, IRA or retirement plan dollars. So you haven't hit minimum required distribution yet. And the question is, which one should you spend first? Well, Mr. Serrated says, hey, my after-tax dollars are my nest egg. I'm going to spend my IRA dollars first. And uh, to oversimplify, if they want to spend a dollar, they have to take, depending on your tax bracket, maybe $1.35 out of the retirement plan, pay $0.35 cents tax, be left with a dollar to spend. But their portfolio is reduced by $1.35. If, on the other hand, you're taking just plain old after-tax dollars and you are spending those, then you're only reducing your portfolio by a dollar. So the person who is paying taxes later is continuing to get growth and dividends and interest on that additional 35 cents. And over time, uh, given some reasonable assumptions, it's the difference between having well over a million dollars and being broke. We hope you enjoyed this special edition of the Lying Money Hour, where smart money talks. If you've discovered the answers to your questions and would like to schedule an appointment with Jim, please call our offices at 1-800-387-1129. That number again is 1-800-387-1129. Or if you would like to attend one of Jim's upcoming webinars, go to paytaxeslater.com forward slash 2020 webinars. That address again is paytaxeslater.com forward slash 2020 webinars. That's 2020 webinars.